Welcome to the Mondo Neon Show. Argon, Neon, Helium, Xenon, Krypton. Transform and roll out. Hey listeners, it's Max with Mono Neon. I have Jeremy Ebersole. Uh, guy's a very huge Neon fan. Um, studied quite a bit of Portland. Thanks for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the yeah. opportunity. I feel really fortunate uh, to, to be here and talk about um, some of the work uh, that I did for, for my, uh, my terminal project for my master's program. Uh, and I know you, you, you've had so many amazing guests on this show, and I feel honored to be uh, among them. <laughs> yeah, well, see, a lot of what's really cool about this story, anybody's listening, is Jeremy reached out to me and, and Mondo, and I said, you know what, where it kind of all falls is just, you know, I opened up this, this project, you know, and you've gotten so deep into it. It's like your thesis, you the University of Oregon, you've completed a, a very critical project, I think, in NEON, where not only are you working to kind of understand and kind of teach and, and acknowledge that these signs are obviously a huge piece of uh, national fabric, you've gotten so deep into the weeds that even I was kind of shocked. I'm like, wow, I didn't even know all this information even existed. So, <laughs> You know, what's fun is that I get to be surprised. You know, oftentimes I say, oh, you know so many people. I'm still, quite frequently, I'm always learning. And that's the best part about what I I think this show is all about, is that even with all these shared experiences, uh, it kind of pulls all together. So when you had emailed me, you know, maybe take us through that first part where you, you know, did you sit down at school? Did somebody come to you and say, you know, Jeremy, I've got these signs, you know, uh, can you talk about these to me? And you said, oh, I don't really know much about it. Or did you know somebody that had kind of been part of the industry? Or how, how did you come up with this idea that you were going to basically drill into Portland Neon? Yeah, yeah, it was, um, it was a tough, it was a tough choice. I mean, I had, um, I am not, uh, I am not an artist uh nor did i have um direct experience um you know with 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 neon um per se prior to prior to this this project um i have been a long time fan uh, and advocate of um uh as the the larger world of kind of roadside heritage uh, or or kind of roadside resources uh, i'm i've been on the board for a few years of the society for commercial archaeology uh, which is a national um, preservation organization um, that uh, founded in the 70s that focuses on uh, commercial roadside architecture. Uh, so we get very into diners and motels and, uh, and neon signs are kind of a part of all of that. Um, so I've been kind of interested in neon signs uh, as one of many uh, kind of cool old commercial um, uh, architecture styles uh, uh, over over the years. I, I, I was um, very lucky back in um, in undergrad, uh, I, I drove Route 66 um, in its entirety uh, one summer um, uh, when I was living in Los Angeles for the summer, and just really kind of fell in love with it. Then, um, so I had uh, I had this interest in um, in neon signs um, um, prior to to coming to grad school. I really wanted to focus my research uh, and my studies in grad school on. Um, kind of the preservation of these types of uh, uh, of um, uh, of structures, signs, and other kind of modern twentieth century um, commercial buildings or, or sites. Um, they have traditionally been, I think, underappreciated uh, in in architecture and preservation world. Um, uh, and I just think they are so important uh, and fun 
uh, and say so much about the lives of everyday people uh, in uh, in American society uh, during during the 20th century. Um, so again, always I, I kind of had that focus. Um, uh, but as I was deciding, you know, you're sitting there when, as a grad student, you know, you are tasked with you know, writing a very long paper and basically devoting an entire year of your life to one topic and really drilling down into it uh, uh, to a depth um, that you would never imagine <laughs> or, or probably uh, necessarily do without, uh, without someone giving you the assignment to do so. So, but it's also an amazing opportunity to, uh, you know, to really focus. I mean, man, like when do you get a year to really dive into one topic um basically also, so as i was kind of looking to you too is like what but was there a part of you growing up like where you did you realize that there was something about like did you love old places or like you know mm -hmm. desire to kind of advance i think with like positive change like there there's kind of were you the kind of kid that got kind of got stuck on certain places or historical moments in time i'm just wondering because there's there's all this unique stuff going on i think where yeah. i'm noticing like you're kind of taking these treks and finding your kind of I guess the educational and advocacy approach, they kind of go hand in hand. You can't have advocacy without education. And so right. had you, you know, it's a huge investment, like to study neon for a year and then yeah. kind of succeeding, like you, you, you got it, you got there. What were, I guess, what were the more obvious choices to you? Did you think, did you land on neon right away? Um, uh, as far, as far as my, my project for, uh, I, and I, um, I did not land on it right away. I mean, I, I kind of, I had a, you know, I had like 25 things. I was making a list during my first year of, of grad school of things I might like to write about and kind of revisited that over the summer and, uh, uh, and realized I have 25 things. I need to narrow this down and, um, and kind of narrowed it down to um, potentially a paper that I was thinking about doing on motels uh, and kind of the redevelopment of, um, uh, of old motels uh, into more kind of boutique uh, kind of hip boutique hotels things like uh, down the austin hotel um, uh, or, or others um the jupiter hotel in portland are places that have have redeveloped old motels and kind of gotten rid of the the unfortunate seedy image that they have had and made these into really cool boutique things so i was going to look at that um, but but neon really grabbed me uh, i think for two reasons um I had become friends um, with uh, Kate Widows, uh, who uh, is a graphic designer in Portland, um, who has a, a project called Electric Letterland uh, uh, that she had uh, so she put together a map of Portland neon and was doing neon tours of walking tours of downtown Portland um, already. So there was kind of a movement in Portland that I could that I could tap into, um, and then in having conversations uh, with people at the city uh, who I knew. In the uh, in historic preservation uh, department and elsewhere, it seemed like there was a genuine interest um, uh, within uh, the city in the possibility of of enacting legislation um, that could um, that could lead towards um, uh, towards regulations uh, that would help protect neon. So it was really I wanted whatever I did to be something that could have an actual effect uh, in the world. I had no interest in writing strictly an academic paper. Uh, I um, I, I wanted to do something that could, you know, that people would see and that would make a difference. And so the opportunity to, to have to tap into the good things that were already happening in Portland and the potential for it to actually make a change was really influential. And just, I mean, Portland has so much neon. I mean, it struck me the minute, I'm not from Portland initially. Um, I had moved to Portland actually from Vermont 
um, where there are lots of wonderful things, but not much neon, uh, uh, unfortunately. And, and Portland just bowled me over with how much neon there is everywhere. I mean, nowhere near what there once was, but there's so much neon around the city and in all parts of the city. It's not a thing that is just Chinatown or just downtown, um, but all of the little kind of old streetcar um, commercial um, cores uh, that are kind of scattered around the different neighborhoods in the city. There's little neon signs all over um, the city. Some of them are old, um, but there's also there's even a lot of new neon that's been created, you know, in the last in the last 20, 30 years. There's still new neon being created very regularly that's going out on the streets in, in Portland. So there's just a lot there. So it just yeah. felt like it all kind of came also, together. Also, too, is the paper, I think, gets into, you know, when I looked at it, there's a lot of historical kind of national layout, you know, the section of where you kind of articulate why it's important to save, it's really in depth. And I think that with the current tools that we have and where we're at in a state of preservation, especially when it comes to neon, there's mm-hmm. a lot of things that we're kind of having to relearn, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and some of those signs, I've talked about this a little bit before with people who are in, the, in this movement, you know, throughout the country, you know, how do you, you know, what's the best way for someone to you know i'd say the best practices it kind of changes you know certain things i've read here and there there's varied opinion on what to do how to do it and sort of where's the standard you know like we still haven't come up with exactly where we want it to be i mean there are acts of kindness where people say okay i'm getting rid of the sign i'm gonna call you guys and you come and pick it up but it isn't always safe or you know possible you know some signs Mm -hmm. have either aged out or are not really you know capable of being saved and that's unfortunate but then there's certainly other times where the sign is just too large you know and there isn't a space to to say how's this maybe there isn't a museum locally uh, to kind of be able to come in and, and swoop in and save these things so um it is an investment do you know you know how i guess what are the sentiments around that that you've experienced or at least how did you kind of grasp where where to come in at you know maybe what's what's been said or what's already kind of written but also what's come coming I guess coming up you know is there anything that you can allude to that at all yeah yeah and they're they're tough questions I mean ideally you know in an ideal world I kind of what I try to focus on uh, is um, like the systemic change um, that addresses those um, those concerns kind of before they become issues, <laughs> I guess. Um, uh, it's certainly not too late if a sign is, is in danger, but it does become difficult uh, at that point. I mean, there were, um, you know, signs, uh, again, do they disappear because there are not, because the regulate, oftentimes regulations in cities do not allow for them to be saved in a way that makes sense. They can't come down and be replaced and go back up. Um, if they do come down, um, they can't um, they can't move to a different location. Um, um, sometimes, um, so there have been I mean there have been successful Kickstarter campaigns out there that have helped um, to save uh, to save signs at the last minute. But then again, like like you said, where do you where do you put them? And if you have a sign museum, um, you know you have someone who can s- store those things, which is which is amazing. Or sign parks, um, uh, which are which are really kind of innovative i think new strategies we're seeing sign parks popping up all over the country which i think are amazing and they create you know vibrant places and show people how uh, you know, how um, how
how much fun neon can be and kind of build an excitement and they're right out there in the public um, which, uh, which I think ideally is where is where they should should be if possible um, but um, but then again like does that also if there is a place for it to go is that less incentive uh, for you know for preservation in place which is really um, what I think is the the ideal like we'd love to see these signs stay where they are um, uh, when they can be enjoyed by the public for free um, uh, and if that you know if that can't happen um, you know then things like relocation or, or sign parks are a great way to keep it keep those signs accessible to, to the public um, so people can see them and then you have things like museums um, um, which are great again for building um, building awareness building a buzz building an excitement and you know have, generally they, they will have places to store <laughs> uh, some uh, some signs but again even the you know a sign museum can't take every single sign um, that is in danger and there are far too few of them a uh, few of them out there um, but then again you're introducing you know a, a, a barrier and uh, it's an entry because you have to pay to get in and they're they're job, oftentimes parts of the you know museums are inside uh, and so they're kind of they're just taken out of context so it's um well, that's what I was going to say too is like you know within isolation we look at these things they're very beautiful I mean not to take anything away from museums because I think they serve um, right. oh, a very absolutely. important purpose you know absolutely yeah um, you know if we all had it our way we would just have recreated those areas and I don't know if that, that's the answer either I think they almost look like uh, one of the topics that came through your paper which I really love was the uh, sign streets and storefronts you, you quote this and it's it's mm -hmm. a good one it's through Martin True he says, yes. although many signs have been admired as curious or beautiful artifacts in isolation, their meaning and importance cannot be fully gathered without studying them in context. So when you are divorcing the signs of these on-site, you know, uh, roles that they play, mm -hmm. it almost can seem trivializing or dismissing them of, you know, whatever cultural presence or especially temporal. I mean, when you look at the valuable, uh, you know, relocation efforts that these things take, I think it also loses a little bit of quality too. So it almost goes back to what you said, the appreciation factor needs to be there. If you are gonna operate with the intent to go and revisit these signs and have them restored, at least acknowledge where they came from and what purpose they save. I think the good museums are really good at doing that. But it right. is worth mentioning that, you know, if you're gonna have it somewhere, at least acknowledge when people go to see it, okay, the strength of this sign was that it was built in this era. But more importantly, that I wish they would talk about is, you know, where are the sign makers that made these signs? You know, can we talk about mm -hmm. even it's difficult to relocate those people because either they passed away or those shops are no longer functional. So not only right. is it important just to recognize the people that purchased these signs, but what I would like to see is um, hopefully in the future, we're able to tie it back to the artists that built these because they're the ones who, yes. without their skills and, and uh, artistic abilities, they wouldn't have those signs at all anyway. So, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the craftsmanship and, and I, I talk about that uh, as well. I mean, I don't I don't have to <laughs> I don't have to make the argument here that neon, you know, neon is art. <laughs> I think everybody we all uh, anyone listening here agrees with that <laughs> without any without any question. Um, but it's, you know, I mean, the craftsmanship, obviously, the code that goes into it is, is just incredible and recognizing, uh, again, that these signs, um, not just Kind of neon fine art but these signs are i mean just the, the craftsmanship is incredible uh that, that it takes uh, and even there's um even the, the national park service when they're talking about um you know neon in one of the preservation uh, briefs um, which is kind of a a, a tool that the preservationists used um, to 
um, to kind of go about uh, the preservation practice, kind of the guidelines that the Park Service sets down. You know, when they're when they're talking about um, you know talking about neon and they're talking about the glow uh, and and the kind of the, the romance of it. I mean, it's it's, it's like it's poetry, <laughs> you know, from an organization that is generally very focused on uh, you know on on on, on regulations. Uh, uh, and language that is, that is not necessarily poetic, um, but there's something just so uh, poetic and beautiful about, um, obviously about neon. And again, something that, um, you know, that is not, uh, I would argue, captured <laughs> quite as well uh, with, um, with- I think with what you're talking about too is like, uh, is neon and pop culture. You know, there's, there's a reception that, you know, obviously takes place when people acknowledge that these signs are important. But one of my favorite things, especially with what's happened with the internet is, uh acknowledging where the signs end up in pop culture you know a lot of there's been some dedication to that um and what i love about you know those photos of maybe say old movies or um you know just that that connection to wherever you saw your you know kind of your favorite sign end up is that they do end up in very interesting places you know it's hard to um really when you represent different types of art you think of it as almost like in art history, it's like uh, a period or like a particular decade. But with neon, it really stretches into uh, you know, multiple decades or right. almost abundantly yes. clear that without that sign, that business wouldn't have functioned the way it did. It wouldn't right. have meant the things it did or, you know, <laughs> I mean, like yeah. I think, like you said, Roadside Americana, there's been many books dedicated to it. In fact, one really I love a lot is The Neon Roadship by John Barnes that just came out in March. There's... Right an interesting offering even in books like you know that go through this this time this devotedness to i get nevertheless the expansion of american signage and it represents a special place you know it's it's kind of the birthplace of you know the baby boomer generation and you know representing you know kind of the wealth and then you get this kind of period of time where you know i think neon waned i think it became kind of easy to pinpoint, okay, well, those signs aren't functioning. So it's almost like the, remember we talked about the seediness of it all. <laughs> right. Yeah. And yeah. You know, when you yeah. look at it, you know, it's hard to preserve something that's already fallen apart, but then there's people who go out there right. and paint <laughs> yeah. those things, you know, like they're now looking at it and saying, right. I love all the rusted on the end. In fact, that's all the stuff I take photos of. So it's so funny. We're ended up now we're in a really great crossroads where we have, not only can we look back at neon and say, okay, that was great. Or that wasn't so great. But unfortunately, I feel like that's not uh, you know, that's not in the hands of, you know, all of us to say. I mean, everyone kind of loves what they like. That's why I always say consider right. what you like and pinpoint what you don't. But don't sit, you know, don't discourage whatever happened before because there's someone out there who finds that significantly important. You know, but again, the signs that you know, how do you deem what's important? How do you how do you say okay, I'm going to save this sign versus um, this sign is not important? And I'm sure there's lots of merits and reasons why. But uh, I think it's, a, it's an important thing to mention, you know, especially with collections going on. I think, you know, have you ever fe felt like in Portland, are there certain signs that stand out for you as iconic or is there reasons why? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a good, it's a, it's a really good uh, question. I mean, you, you bring up really, you know, really good points uh, that Neon, again, Neon has been, there are these different phases of neon. Uh, yeah, there's obviously not not uh, as much left from, from kind of the pre-war period, but this is really a, I mean, a boom time before um, before the Second World War. Again, not just something um, that that is on 
giant roadside motel signs and route 66 you know route 66 towns uh but you know but you know it was a real uh symbol of uh of urban glamour uh when they were introduced uh, in uh, in the earlier part of the of the 20th century um and to get to the yeah to the to the question of like how do you how do you determine uh, again what is why is a sign significant or worth saving and this is something that you know in in preservation, in the preservation, historic preservation field, um, you know, we get into quite a lot. Like, how do we decide what is "quote unquote" historic uh, and should have some kind of a designation to protect it? And who gets to determine that? And why do my values matter more um, than someone else's values? And it's caused a lot of problems in, in historic preservation uh, because we've traditionally. Uh, kind of elevated the value, kind of Eurocentric, um, uh, generally white upper class values uh, um, uh, at the expense of others. Um, so it's a big question. Um, uh, to get more directly to, to the question, I, mean, I think this is, you know, it, I argue for you know, regulations uh, in my paper that would help protect, uh, would help protect neon signs uh, and make um, demolition more difficult uh, or changes to sign codes that would make, um, Things like relocation or, or changing wording or things more um, more accessible and easier, which would help keep these signs in, in place. Um, but part of that, you know, if you're going to designate a sign, um, you need you need to have a rationale for designating the signs uh, that can be applied evenly uh, across the board. Um, uh, you, need, you need a basis essentially to make the decision on um, and. Again, like one of the, I, I, I have Miami's uh, criteria here in front of me because I like them. Um, so you'll see things like, uh, which are, is similar in preservation. You know, if a sign was associated with some important thing or important event, this is an important place, um, something important happened here, that sign is a symbol of that, that's a reason. Um, uh, it could be, you know, the only, if there was only a couple of Coca-Cola signs left, for example, you know, that could be significant because it's related to, you know, a product or a business that is popped or a business that is, that is gone. Um, um, if it's reflecting, you know, a specific history of the neighborhood, you know, it can be, it can be significant for, um, for, for that reason. Um, and something can be, if it's kind of integral to the building's design, again, lots of signs, there's a great sign in Portland at what used to be a signal gas station and this beautiful art deco um, little gas station that's now a pizza place. Uh, and, um, Again, the, the 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 neon is kind of integrated into the architecture there, um, so that's that's something that, that, that can be significant or just you know artistically beautiful. I, I mean, I know a lot of people. Um, uh, the, the entry point to neon um, for for a lot of folks is um, you know is the artistry and the um, um, the the lettering uh, and just the the really intricate um, kind of kind of. Um, uh, craftsmanship that comes with creating um, uh, these um, these letters and the design of them. So if it's just beautiful, like artistically meritorious, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, that's, that's definitely a reason. And one thing that I've liked in, in Miami, and oftentimes it kind of ends there, like it's significant because, you know, it's beautiful or it, it represents a specific type of architecture or art or is associated with some kind of important thing. Um, one thing that I like that they've done in, in Miami and, and other places as well, but you don't see as much um, is just if uh, one of the criteria that they can use for designation is if, if a sign is uh, a popular recognition, uh, has popular recognition as a community focal point. So basically, this sign is important to the community, like the people who are here 
now think that this sign is is valuable um, um, which I really like because it brings in uh, again the, these aren't just historical relics like these are things that are vibrant parts of community today and we see that in, in Portland I mean obviously kind of the easy answer <laughs> but a but an amazing sign is the white stag sign uh, in, in in Portland that's right on um, is actually on the building that is occupied by the University of Oregon. So where I was going to school, it's on top of our building, this big, beautiful uh, you know, outline of the state of Oregon um, with a, a white deer jumping through kind of the top corner of it. Uh, they light up his nose in red uh, during the holiday season and it says Portland, Oregon, and it kind of shines and sparkles. Um, and I mean, just a beautiful sign and an icon. I mean, it's, there's replicas of it in the uh, in convention center. Uh, there are pictures of it uh, in, uh, in the airport. I mean, it's just everywhere. And the city owns that sign. Um, it was the result of a really complex <laughs> and difficult um, deal uh, about 10 years ago or so. And that sign had gone through many changes. It originally advertised um, white satin sugar, which is the occupant of this, of this big um, kind of warehouse building, then turned to white stag sportswear, which is where it got, got the name and the, the stag, um, which... Um, which was the largest uh, like ski equipment, ski clothing manufacturer in like the 70s and 80s in that time period. So the wording changed there. Um, uh, and then it was historically designated. Uh, the city actually made the sign a landmark. Um, and so then there was a process uh, when, it, when White Stag um, left and they changed the sign to uh, made in Oregon. Uh, and then this big, um, this big to-do, <laughs> um, <laughs> 10 years ago or so when the University of Oregon um, uh, got the lease on the building uh, over what to do with it uh, and ended up again changing the wording again to say Portland, Oregon now. But it's just an amazing symbol of the city. Um, that P and that really, like, it was, uh, it was um, landmarked uh, for, again, it's, it's, um, its significance to uh, as, as, a, as a piece of art uh, and significance uh, with, with that white stag history. Um, now, but then, I mean, it was really saved uh, because there was a huge outcry because people love the sign. You see it when you come across um, one of the, the main bridges across the Willamette River that's right there in, in, in downtown Portland. Um, uh, and you see that a lot. I mean, people. Yeah. Well, also too, I think, you know, the turnaround, I guess for me is when I hear all this is that, you know, within that economic revitalization effort, you know, there's a new, there's a new level to neon. I think the value of some of these signs in, in the communities that have done a good job of this, I think no longer have to kind of respond as quickly, but there's an urgency around, I guess you could say making over certain signs, you know, where you'll have, and you talked about this in your paper where mm -hmm. LED is kind of ushered in a new kind of outcry as to what neon is and what it should be. And ultimately a lot right. of companies have done a very poor job of really telling the story of exactly what they're selling. I think a lot of companies out there need to do a better job of this. And really, I don't necessarily know if, if that's just them not understanding the difference or really, I mean, it clearly is a, a very big, uh, you know, change as towards the, 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 the ability to have to just have that conversation with your clients should be very clear. But um, yeah. what I think is more important is that there's a fragility in all of this, meaning, you know, within each, art society you know there's different players or different focuses and i think what miami like you said has done a good job of really acknowledging what those zoning laws are and requiring the same bright signage to really exist on each on each 
front. You know, they know they've they've gained recognition for the historical elements in these neon signs, these tropical oasis type colors that they use. And I think what we've seen uh, time and time again is certain cities kind of reluctantly pulling back the veil of, oh yes, we're so sorry. We wish we would have kept all these signs. And there are major cities that have already gone through this kind of the sort of the gentrification ever, but there's a lot of really good moments in time where I think eventually it leads to either the sign being reacquired or moved to different places. One in particular, I think, is the redevelopment of Long Island City. We talked about this in your paper a little bit, and it's also been mentioned on the show, is the elimination of the Pepsi-Cola Spectacular, which is really cool. It highlights a really, uh, you know, obviously uh, Pepsi's a major brand, but they did no longer want it, and it got relocated, and now it's on the waterfront in New York City over off of Long Island. Yes, yeah, beautiful sign. Yeah, I love that. Right. Right. And so, and it also speaks to the city too, was knowing so much about it in the twenties and up until the turn of the century, people were fighting to keep them. But in the eighties, you know, Times Square, and you, you really talked a great deal about this, how valuable it was for them to basically tear everything down and then have to build it all back up. So what they found themselves with was, yeah. okay, no, no, no. Times Square is all about neon. Let's pump the brakes. But you know, right. as a result, they've lost, you know, stretches of neon signs that will no longer be back. And, you know, the sex shops and all that are seedy, you can say what you want, but they're no longer there anymore. But what they've realized is that, oh, through this preservation effort, they've now been able to kind of say, okay, we're recognizing neon, you have to use it in a certain way. And, you know, the pioneers of neon signers are no longer around, they're not doing all this type of work. It's usually gone through bigger companies with heavy rigs and uh, a, a huge, you know, obviously, reason why is because safety is a huge element still mm-hmm. tends to be the case in New York where you have a, a, a large amount of uh, businesses defining themselves and you can't just have something hanging off the side of a building. We don't want anybody to get hurt because that isn't good for anything. So yeah, yeah. You know, neon is an important element is what I'm arguing. And right. it's been encouraged over time, especially as we look towards those areas. So I think what I've, you know, what I see museums doing really well is they'll, they'll, they'll look at the landscape and say, okay, if, if you're going to lose this sign, you know, explicitly discouraging the fact of it ending up in a landfill. Right. Let's see what historically is important about this and let's keep it in the same city. Whereas having it carted off right. to a different location and having yes. it sort of, yeah. you know, end up in a, in another place, you know, a lot of countries have already had this happen. If you look at a collection, you'll say to yourselves, well, wow, I wish that would have stayed, you know, in, in California or, you know, whatever, argue about whatever state it's from. But if it really does mean that much, then, you know, I think it really sets a standard for communities to get together, like you said, is to, okay, if it's going to go somewhere, can we reimagine the sign? Can it change? Can a letter move? Can we repurpose right. the sign? Because that's what I see. Portland did a good job yeah. of repurposing the sign, and now you can still appreciate it. It might not be what it was at the beginning, but it certainly isn't gone. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and a really good, uh, a place that I think has done a really great job of, uh, of what you're describing is in Tucson, Arizona, um, where similarly, there was a, a Life, Life magazine, I believe, article in the 70s um, that, that labeled um, one of Speedway Avenue, uh, it's called one of the main drags there, as the ugliest street in America. <laughs> um, because of the proliferation of, of signs there and uh, and they really took it to heart <laughs> and, uh, and said, we're not the other, we're going to fix this. And so there were some uh, regulations that were enacted um, uh, that really cracked down on, uh, on neon signs. Um, nevertheless, um, 
a lot have survived um, over the years. Uh, and then in um, uh, around 2010 or so, there's kind of this uh, realization um, that there are a lot of neon signs left in this city and they're not necessarily all in great shape, but they can be an incredible asset. Like this thing that, that we were getting called out for, uh, you know, 30, 40 years ago, uh, making us the ugliest street in America. Actually, these things are, are, are really interesting and there's something that we can, we can use for economic development and we can, it is cheaper and easier to fix a sign than it is to fix a building. And it can be something that spurs economic development and shows that something is happening. So the nonprofit preservation organization um, there um, really kind of took on neon signs as a project and worked um, with local city planners uh, in a neighborhood to help um, restore some of these signs. Um, they created uh, a small sign park with four signs uh, in partnership with a local community college, uh, really got um, the city on, on board with it. Uh, and as a result of this, you know, it led to this, one of the first kind of vintage sign ordinances in the country that created the special legislation that allowed for the design, historic designation of specific signs so that it could protect signs, you know, throughout the city. And as you saw out of this also, um, you know, a kind of a tour booklet, which has happened in Tulsa and was replicated in San Jose as well as people creating these booklets to raise awareness or so people can kind of drive around and find the signs uh, and key to the success i think of the of those regulations um, were as you said these allowances for uh, signs to, to to kind of relocate if they needed to uh, in certain situations and and to change the wording uh, they said that really the keys to, to that success with that ability to change the wording. So if, say, if you have a business that's coming in, you know, uh, the example that I always use is if you have a motel sign that says pool in neon, there's no pool there anymore. Like it's silly to have regulations that say you can't change the word pool because it's part of the sign and it's part of it. Like you need to make these things usable uh, in, in, for, for modern, uh, you know, for modern businesses. And it, there's certainly something to be said for kind of keeping it um, as it was, and businesses kind of taking on the persona of the sign, I think is great, but you also have to allow for that kind of change. And that was um, noted as one of the reasons why um, this regulation has been so successful. And then other little things like saying that the business can keep that sign, but also have other signs and this whole historically designated neon sign will not count toward the maximum allowable kind of sign allowance, because there's usually only X number of square feet of signage you're allowed to have on a uh, on a site, so these little tweaks can make uh, can make these things more possible. And then now, so now Tucson is, uh, you know, has an amazing collection of signs uh, of the uh, of the thirty, I believe, thirty signs that were featured in the tour booklet that was put together in twenty twelve. Um, twenty eight of them, I was able to visit. Uh, twenty eight of them are still um, are still standing uh, in various uh, conditions. But neon is is really a part of the landscape there that people appreciate. Uh, uh, when, you know, in the 1970s, it was something that was, uh, I mean, there was a strong effort to eradicate it. <laughs> uh, yeah, and it gets, and I, know, I think so too. I think side. about the, uh, you know, when you talk about eradication, like, um, I think some, what are some of the preservation stories that I guess, you know, oral histories that you've been able to capture while you're doing the paper? Does anything stand out for you that, I guess, stories that may otherwise have gone unnoticed in the paper that you can recount that would really kind of tell 
I think you just gave a good example of that recently, but um, mm -hmm. anything that you were kind of surprised by when you were researching uh, this neon? Um, you know, in, um, in, uh, in Tulsa, um, I really like, there was a, um, there was a sign um, there, Meadow Gold, uh, a Meadow Gold sign, um, is a dairy company. I believe, um, but in Tulsa is another, I think, major success story. Um, they received, the city received a grant um, from the National Park Service, which had a grant for many, many years that just uh, kind of sunsetted, so the grant kind of ran out. Um, but uh, the National Route 66 Corridor Cost Share Preservation Grant was its long name, but basically it was a grant for um, uh, communities along Route 66. Um, it was not specifically designed just for neon, but was used very often to restore neon signs. Uh, and, uh, and again, in Tulsa, um, there was a grant, again, to, to fix up this sign. Um, the business ended up uh, folding or, or, or moving, uh, I believe, before the restoration was complete. And so now we have this grant money to restore this large uh, kind of rooftop um, double sign, kind of facing at an angle out in two different directions with this beautiful clock. And, and so the, the preservation organization and the kind of Route 66 uh, nonprofit uh, in, um, in Oklahoma kind of got together with the city and were able to, uh, essentially they, they struck a deal, again, where the city took ownership of the sign. Uh, so another, another instance where a sign was saved because the city recognized that it was valuable uh, and stepped in to take ownership, uh, actually had to move the sign, but moved it um, to another part of town uh, along Route 66 um, and built a special pavilion essentially just for this rooftop sign. So kind of a, a building that mimicked uh, uh, kind of the storefront where it, where it sat initially, put it back up. Um, and again, it didn't happen all at once. Uh, they, the, the clock that was a part of that sign um, was not um, was not part of the, um, the original deal. It took time to raise money and awareness and kind of get it built into the plan, the city plan to have funding for that. But they saved the sign, they moved it. There's these great interpretive panels that kind of talk about the history of the sign, of neon, of the company, of the process uh, of, of saving it. So it really gets into kind of all of the, all of the details there. And then, um, you know, still years later, um, you know, the, the city uh, is kind of redoing its, um, its strategic plan uh, and includes a kind of a renewed focus on this Route 66 corridor. Uh, and as part of that, um, creates kind of special task forces um, focused on Route 66. Um, and as part of that, they create kind of this neon task force um, that has funding. Uh, and so now in, in Tulsa, there is money um, from the city going to grants to restore and encourage new neon um, along Route 66 uh, in the city that's kind of written into the city, uh, into the city plans. So again, this was, you know, like a, a 15 year plus uh, time frame. So often, uh, just like keep them up because you don't know, these things can take time. Uh, uh, to do, but you can't save them if they're gone. But if they are there, there is still hope. I mean, another one be, and I didn't, I don't know as many details about, but the, the Grain Belt um, beer sign in Minneapolis is another sign that was, um, that was kind of out of commission for many years. Um, a new company got the building, wanted to restore the sign, and were able to get it listed on the National Register of Historic Places, which is kind of the, the big official list of 
places worth preserving uh, in the U.S. that the Park Service um, maintained. And it's one of six neon signs in the country that are like individually listed as, as significant. So it's up there with like the Shell sign in, uh, in Cambridge, uh, Massachusetts. Um, there's a, kind of the Walking Man sign in, um, uh, in Maine that was just designated last year and the, the Vegas, the Welcome to Las Vegas sign in, in Las Vegas. But again, the sign in, uh, in, in Minneapolis was you know, was um, was just sitting there, not lit for many years, um, uh, and, and was able to be restored. They did, they did uh, make it LED, uh, um, which is uh, not the ideal outcome, but but again, better than uh, than losing it altogether. And, and the other, the last thing that I would mention there um, is just the incredible success that uh, the, that Los Angeles saw um, uh, the efforts of uh, really one individual, Adolfo Nodal. Um, the Lumens Project, which is the acronym for um, Living Urban Museum uh, of Electric Neon Signs. <laughs> I remember that. But anyway, they, again, these signs, basically, we were using helicopters and other things to fly around the city and identify signs that were on rooftops that had just been like laid on the roof uh, since World War II, <laughs> just sitting there. Um, and so we can restore these signs uh, as a way, uh, as public arts uh, and a way to encourage economic development and revitalization. And so over the course of uh, 15 years or so, the city uh, of Los Angeles, um, really kind of directly restored 185 signs. I mean, it just blows every other um, city out of the water as far as the number of signs that were restored. Obviously, Los Angeles is huge and there are a lot of signs to begin with, but again, they were able to do that because those signs were, um, were still there and they were identified as, um, uh, as, uh, as something that could be significant, uh, not just for their artwork, but as a way to, to help redevelop um, neighborhoods and show that things are happening uh, in neighborhoods where where things have not been happening um, recently. So again, I, there's even, I mean, aspects of that where, you know, where restoring neon can be a form of, uh, you know, of, of, of social justice uh, and re reinvesting in communities that have not been reinvested in. Uh, yeah, it's also too, I think, of, uh, you know, with, with Adolfo, you mentioned that too. I think Kadir Lopez, we had him on the show, he's actually restoring neon in Cuba. Yes, uh, he's done so much. Yeah, yeah they're actually uh, colleagues. And so within that epic rooftop sign discussion you just had, I couldn't help but think about the efforts done overseas. And so, you know, not just only is it statewide here, but it's also, um, you know, working with those cultural affairs and, and dealing with that is a huge task. And so when you think about doing right. it in, 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 in a very sort of uh, difficult environment, obviously within the framework of Cuba, you have things like uh, just difficulty finding materials, um, you know, right. not only that, just, you know, working with, uh, working in an environment that not only is just, you know, had kind of come out uh, of a difficult time, still obviously the golden sign era was in the 50s, you have neon being dormant for, you know, 60 years, you know, infused in right. the city and uh, meant many different things. So kind of what you said earlier is kind of, the restoration project doesn't end there. Um, it could stay there. And, you know, that initiative has led him, you know, to work in LA and not only that, mm -hmm. but the relationship with uh, Kadir, which is a Cuban born as well. So Angel uh, Adolfo is also Cuban born as well. They have done a great job of, you know, resurrecting this corridor, you know, inspiring yeah. other people to not only go back to those places, 
that may or may not felt like common places to work out of or even want to go down those streets because it's completely dark, you know, at nighttime. So there was, Mm -hmm. it's an emblematic time, not only a moment or a proud moment, but also taking ownership of that, that era that kind of meant something a little bit more, you know, it was a kind of a, talk about the seediness of neon and I don't think people realize you know, when it's turned off, it ain't that great. <laughs> but we, <laughs> yeah, you know, and for good reason. It's meant to be on. <laughs> yeah, you know, and pro- it meant modernism and prosperity. And then we went through this strange time, right. this lens of uh, movies and uh, you know, kind of the guy sitting at the bar. You know, that kind of yeah. Yeah. that one time it was a vibrant jazz scene. It meant that you were doing not only well, but grossly uh, commercial and, you know, had, you know, I guess there was a a kind of a harshness about it that eventually became kind of all over. And now it's kind of just getting its feet back on the ground in a way that I think is tasteful and people understand it, but can be used for whatever reason, you know, spark interest, create a movement, uh, have it be at a sign show, have it be at your best friend's wedding, whatever. And I think the debut yeah. of Neon now is, you know, it not only is it meant for everybody, but it's meant for everything. You know, you've completed yeah. a full cycle of, okay, well now it's a, for a car dealership and now it's only for a hotel. And abandoning that is a good thing. I think eventually signs are going to get better and better where not only we're exploring these possibilities, but we now have, a, I guess you could say, a, a, a neon language. Whenever we see something on display, we immediately know it's an impact. Uh, we people start to looking at the environment and associate it in different ways. So to restore those signs, it gives us a history, a framework to create things off of, to go back and look at these old newsreels and photos and wonder what it was like in the heyday, but then to be able to actually look at these uh, craftsmen and their time and really what they did and what they were able to leave behind really will give us an infrastructure that not only will be able to look back and say, oh, wow, we accomplished something uh, as, as, as neon makers or advocates or, uh, you know, however you want to look at a preservationist, but slowly is this shifting its momentum towards, uh, less private hands and more in the hands of, I guess you could say the everyday person, you know, they can experience it. They can go back and look at it. Typically we have something to, uh, show progress. And I think that's the most important part is that, you know, not only restoration of these signs are important because of the labor that went into them and the respect that they had for those moments and that, that time period. But, you know, we're building on top of that. It's not just saying that, okay, we're going to level the whole thing and start all over again. You right. know, if it was important, let's, you know, let's, why is it important? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, it's a living, it is a living art. And I think that, you know, that authenticity, I think people grasp, it's part of why I think people are so drawn to neon because they understand that this is something that is done by hand, um, that, it, that is a craft, that it has, has artistry and it, it represents authenticity, I think, for a lot of people in the way it's being done now um, because it, um, you see it so often on uh, kind of mom and pop uh, shops, um, a lot of what is existing from the past um, that has survived, you know, is from those mom and pop shops because corporations have, uh, you know, they've changed their logos and they've gotten rid of their, their old signs. So I think it really does speak to now. Yes. That it is something that is, uh, that is for everyone. That is not, it's not just bowling alleys and motels and movie theaters. It's uh, you know, it's, it's interiors and it's words and it's pictures and it's, there's something like it's, it's a, 
it's an equalizer. It's something that everybody I think can really rally around and, and relate to and, and, and feel. Yeah. Are you are on a preservation level, you know, your story's out there right now, any, I guess, efforts that you feel that you're working on right now that you want everybody to know about that's on the show right now, listening, uh, anything that you kind of think about that you're working on that you think, uh, you know, leading up to this that you're excited about? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, I, I'm excited. Um, in Portland, um, uh, there, there is a, uh, a relatively new initiative um, again that was really started by uh, by Kate Widows, who I mentioned earlier, um, uh, and um, uh, and Michael Mintz, uh, who who runs the Neon Gods um, uh, uh, Restoration Company in Portland as well. And they've put together uh, PDX Neon, uh, which is the PDXneon.org, which is um, kind of a new, um, not not a five hundred one c three nonprofit, but kind of a grassroots effort um, to pool. Um, together, people who care about neon in uh, in Portland and kind of create uh, start to create some of that groundswell uh, of support and recognition for Portland. So that is very um, very exciting. Um, I am uh, I am currently, unfortunately, I I, I did leave uh, Portland, uh, uh, which I, which I which I miss in many ways, but I'm very excited. And I'm currently in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin, um, uh, serving as the uh, as the executive director for the Milwaukee Preservation Alliance, which is the city. Um, preservation nonprofit here, and I'm brand new, uh, three weeks in, so I can't uh, I can't say exactly uh, what we're what we'll be doing um, yet because it is all it is all very brand new. Um, uh, but good things uh, will be happening in in, in Milwaukee, uh, related hopefully to signs and to all of the, the other kind of great um, historic. There's amazing uh, amazing signs around Milwaukee and amazing buildings, and I'm really excited to to be here and kind of working on. Uh, on these things, and again, I always I, I have to push um, the neon, the what San Francisco Neon is doing, and the Neon Speaks conference, which I know is a uh, kind of virtual this year, as all conferences are. But I think they're just doing um, really, um, really amazing, uh, amazing things. And of course, you can always find me um, at uh, my Instagram is uh, Jeremy the Ebersol. Um, so my first and last name with the in the middle, uh, J J E R E M Y. T H E E B E R S O L E um, and I, um, I, I, I put lots of pictures of all kinds of uh, uh, generally historic, uh, interesting buildings uh, and sites there. But a uh, neon as much as I possibly can <laughs> uh, on there. Uh, and from there, there's also a link uh, if you, if you in your spare time want to want to dive into uh, into a thesis. I really tried to make it. Um, very readable and approachable and interesting. So I like to think it's the uh, it's the most fun you'll have reading a 350-page thesis. And there's lots of pictures. <laughs> yeah, I highly recommend it too. Thanks, Jeremy, for for not only coming on the show but just being so uh, you know palatable with your information. It, it isn't necessarily something that everybody thinks about, but I think everybody should be aware of. And so things that you mentioned too, Neon Speaks. Uh, anybody interested in this festival should definitely. I'm glad you mentioned it. It's uh, yeah. September 25th through the 27th this year, and it is online. And I do advocate for that. I think if anybody's interested in anything related to Neon, go check it out. It's a, a really great uh, show, but not to detract from Jeremy here. Uh, check him out uh, online as well. You're on Instagram too. People can find you there. Uh, yes, yeah, Instagram. Yeah, Instagram. Yeah, so at, at Jeremy the Ebersol. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jeremy. Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. I really appreciate it. Hey guys, hope you enjoyed that show. If you haven't done so, please leave us a review on your podcast aggregator of choice. We have a lot of great neon guests coming up. And as always, thanks for listening.